Hey y'all, welcome back to the Slayla Show. This is season three, episode eight. Um, this episode, I'm going to be discussing land histories, um, in particular, indigenous peoples that occupied this country, and in particular, the part of Texas that we live in today, um, prior to colonization, prior to um, Europeans and other groups of people coming into this part of the world and essentially taking over the land that once belonged to them. Um, this is a really interesting topic for me, one that really has to be talked about, um, with a certain respect for the fact that we do live on land that is stolen and that was conquered through, you know, the course of hundreds of years of genocide. Um, I'm going to be talking specifically about, um, Native American women who are murdered and go missing at exponentially higher rates than any other group of people, um, and how that ties into the fact that the land that we live on is stolen. Um, something that's increasingly come to my mind over the past couple of years is how you cannot discuss white supremacy without discussing how this country was founded. And without discussing the very real violence of gun violence and how gun violence has been used historically and traditionally to prop up a white supremacist culture and society. Um, I think this is why our country, in particular, the conservative block of our country and the Republican Party is so against uh, doing away with. When I say doing away with guns, I, I just I don't even I don't feel like that's an accurate way to say it or an accurate phrase to really fully describe what I mean. But um, to put in place stricter gun control and to put in stricter gun regulation laws, um, because guns have been a critical part of our culture, a critical part of like what it means to be American, unfortunately, and unfortunately, a critical part of what it means to be American historically. And this cannot be denied. And you can deny it all you want to. You're you're wrong is to engage in very, very brutal violence that includes uh, killing of Native, Indigenous, First Nations peoples um, and using guns to assert to essentially assert white dominance and white power. Um, I teach Texas history. I taught what I did. I taught Texas history for four years um, and I enjoyed teaching that subject Specifically because I taught at an all-boys school and the students I taught were mostly Latinx and black men. Um, I taught at a single-gender all-boys middle school in Pleasant Grove, which is in southeast Dallas. One of the most violent neighborhoods um, in the country. Uh, the most violent neighborhood in the DFW Metroplex. Um, and I say all that to say, it's a paint a, a paint a a broader picture of the students that I was teaching and the daily discussions that we had and where they came from and how that influenced how I taught them and how they learned and how they spoke and interacted with me as well. Um, one thing that we talked about a lot, of course, is Texas, uh, specifically Dallas, the Fort Worth area, Austin, the Hill Country, Houston, the formation of these, these major cities um, and how they came to be. And... Um, just generally what it meant for colonization to take place in this part of the world. Um, one of the, the, the three things that we teach them, well, I say three things, this concept is called God, gold, and glory. And if you have any type of historical background or enjoy history, you've probably heard of this. Uh, God, gold, and glory is the concept that when Europeans, specifically the Spanish, came to Texas, 
they had three main goals or three motivating factors, which is why they engaged in colonization in the first place. God is to spread religion to Native Americans who they consider to be savage and barbaric, um, spreading religion. Unfortunately, even as a Christian, this is something I can't deny, but Christianity has been used to manipulate and control people for centuries. It has. There's no getting around that. There's no denying that. It's a fact, one that we need to embrace, that we can rectify all the harm that Christianity has been used uh, to perpetuate how, you know, it's just been used to perpetuate violence in many instances. And this is just the truth. Uh, so we have we have our God, which is perpetuating Christianity, spreading Christianity to Native American populations in particular and to people later on after most of the Native Americans have been killed off and they need a new workforce. You have to Christianize your slaves and, you know, Christianizing people does not come from you wanting to do it um, just for the sake of, you know, you want to spread Christianity. I'm sure that's how the priests felt who came over here on these on these ships. But the soldiers and the conquistadors and people who came over here to conquer this land, you know, forcing the people to become Christians means you're indoctrinating them with the same social and cultural values that you have, which thus makes them easier to control. The end, like period, bottom line. Um, so we have God, gold, of course, they came over here because they were, you know, many of these European explorers were the second and third sons of noble families and were not going to inherit a significant portion of their family fortune. So they had to come over to the new world where they had heard all these myths and tales of being able to inherit all this, you know, just crazy amounts of wealth. Of course, this gold doesn't actually exist. Hernan Cortez, when he conquered the Aztecs in central Mexico, you know, he's one of the only people to actually find all of this gold. Um, then you have glory. Glory is expanding the size of the kingdom. And in this particular part of the world, that would have been the size of the Spanish kingdom. Um, when we talk about land and ownership and how many of us came to be on this land um, you know, one of the most interesting lessons I got to teach my boys was about Christopher Columbus and, um, you know, talking, living in a house where, you know, it's me, it's my daughter and it's my mother and being able to talk to my mother about the type of stuff that she learned in school about Christopher Columbus in comparison to what I learned and in comparison to what my niece is currently learning in Georgia and what I teach my students currently, stark, stark, stark differences, um, my mom went to school, elementary and middle school in the late sixties and early seventies where, you know, Christopher Columbus was still heralded as, you know, this great, this great, uh, Western civilization hero who opened up this part of the world to be civilized and for, you know, all of us to come here and to create this great country of America where freedom reigns supreme. Fast forward to when I was in school in the early two thousands. Um, you know, it was still kind of some of the same shit, but also it was more so, well, you know, unfortunately he came and unfortunately, you know, unfortunately he killed off a lot of people. That was, you know, that was like the tone of like the teachers telling us this and they, they acknowledged that fact, but they didn't really do it justice the way that I felt like it needed to be done justice. Fast forward to when I become a teacher and there are so many other resources that 
do not shy away from the brutality that Christopher Columbus introduced into the lives of native people when he came to this part of the world, to the Western hemisphere and some of the very brutal things that he did, many of which are so brutal. I won't even bother to recount them here, but if you go onto YouTube, there are plenty of educational resources and videos that, um, definitely, definitely explain what he did and how brutal it was. Um, I also think I've I've had a chance and this is another just generally speaking, um, the concept of this assignment is for us to discuss how the land that we're living on is stolen. I will also say the cultural traditions and the history of of native people, First Nations people, indigenous people. And I'm using all these different terms because first and foremost, when we talk about these different groups of people, they're they have start cultural differences depending on which tribe or which group of people you're talking about um and i feel like in using different terms to talk about them my hope is that i am talking about them in a way that lends more respect to their actual identity the way that they identify themselves because as i've read more about um indigenous groups of people here in america first and foremost many of them were very unique in and of themselves Many of them, the names that we call them are not the actual names that they actually call themselves. But I think is just another like really sad reality of the fact that so much of like not just their land has been stolen, but their cultural identity has been stolen. And um, I say that in the sense that like mainstream American society knows very little about Native people and Indigenous people. We are taught very little about indigenous cultures here in America, especially in the very places in which we live, which Texas, um, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been a while since I taught Texas history, but Texas had like 30 some odd different groups that lived here where we live. Um, the Wichita. Who else lived in this area? Um I used to teach my kids this and this is like, I can't, like, I know for sure the Wichita for a little bit further north, like going towards Wichita Falls. Um, and this part of like the different, the four different geographic regions of Texas, there were major groups in each different region and their lifestyle basically revolved around their deep cultural ties and their deep ties to the land. And I think when we talk about ownership of land, um, one thing that came across to me, I read this a couple of years ago, is that the way that indigenous people thought about the land and thought about ownership was very, very culturally different than the way that Europeans thought about ownership. Um, as we can see, they thought many Europeans thought about ownership in, in the sense of like what you can conquer, what you can take, whereas many indigenous tribes, this isn't true for all of them, but many indigenous tribes indigenous groups of people um didn't really believe that you could own the land because the land was a natural resource that produced life for everyone living on it so no one could actually own the land i think that's a beautiful concept um i wish that that concept was more broadly accepted by our society but then when you look at the history of america and you look at the way that we have over the course of hundreds of years continue to commit acts of genocide genocide against uh indigenous populations um is really disgusting and it and it points to the larger problem of us as a government as a society as a culture 
not respecting the fact that this land and, and respecting the history of this land and respecting the fact that this was someone's home before capitalism and all these other really evil isms decided to essentially take over. Um, it's never really escapes me. Um, it's just like when you look at like the historic, and I, I feel like one of my professors in undergrad has always really stressed the importance of looking at history through a legal perspective and through a legal lens because it shows you what we as a society valued the most at that specific time. Um, you know, it kills me studying indigenous groups of people and how oftentimes they would try to go through the American government and through, you know, the means of like our legal framework to preserve their ownership of land only to basically be shitted on when it was all said and done. Um, one of the most heartbreaking things that I have had to teach my boys about is the trail of tears, uh, during the presidency of Andrew Jackson and how the five civilized tribes, they call them the five civilized tribes because these are the tribes of people that had a pretty good degree of assimilation to American culture and had pretty well-established ties to different, um, cities within the American South and these tribes are mostly located like in the northern part of uh parts of like eastern Georgia parts of northern Mississippi and parts of Florida these five tribes of people and so they they went to the Supreme Court they filed suit they said you know we don't want to leave our land and they won their law case they won their 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 case they actually won their case and um Andrew Jackson one of the only times you know, because it's not too many times that presidents are bold enough to do this, but one of the only times in history, he actually went against the Supreme Court and forced these people off their land anyways and forced them on the trail of tears and forced them into what we now, you know, basically into like the modern version, the early modern version of what we would now consider to be a reservation uh, and essentially forced them off their land. Um, many of them died on this trail and when I study things like that, it, it really is very upsetting to me that we continue to just like pretend that these people were never here and we can preach all these different things here in America about equality and about um, equality of opportunity and about land ownership and all these different things. When we literally live on land that we killed and forced people off of brutally so over the course of several hundred years, brutally so like brutally murdered and committed acts of genocide against these people um for the sake of taking their land and turning it into you know a capitalistic profitable system that would basically prop up our government and our society and our culture and um as a black woman the ancestor of slaves i feel a deep connection and a deep 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 reverence for these people because of all the different struggles they had to endure and, and, you know, while their struggle is very different from the African-American struggle and to homogenize them would be to essentially take away from the intricacies that both of these groups of people experience. I really feel for them because that type of genocide, that type of violence um, is not completely unknown to my ancestors and what my people have had to go through. Right. Um I want to speak specifically through the lens of 
when we refuse to acknowledge um, what we've done to these people and we continue to put, and I say these people, like I really, as an academic, I struggle with the type of language that I need to be using and that's something that I'm, I am committed to getting better at doing. But when we talk about indigenous groups of people um, and we assist in their erasure and we don't talk about where we come from and why the land that we live on is the way that it is now and what had to happen in order for this in order for dallas to be incorporated in order for dallas to become a city in order for any of this land to be turned into cities and to be essentially taken over by mostly european people and people of european descent when we talk about this and we assist in like this type of erasure It's really important for us not to do that because what that does, it begets other problems. So as of now, um, there are vast, vast numbers of murdered and missing indigenous women. Um, They're murdered at a rate 10 times higher than other ethnicities. um, And murder is the third leading cause of death for women uh for indigenous women um and these murders are being committed by people who are not native um and they're they're being committed they're being committed by people who are non-native on native owned lands that means a lot of this shit is happening on reservations which is extremely sad to me um and according to this resource that my professor posted one of the the main problems with being able to apprehend the people who are doing this is that there is a very, very poor sense of communication between state, local and tribal law enforcement. Um, and so the investigation process is a lot of the time doesn't start or it's stalled or it's, you know, basically a patchwork investigation where critical, critical pieces of the investigation process just pretty much go missing and are not really taken into account of. Um, this is disgusting to me, but it does not surprise me as one of the most marginalized groups of people. But 84% of Native women are experiencing violence in their lifetime. This is not, and it cannot be tied or separated away. It cannot be separated away from the fact that there is our culture, American culture in and of itself is built around the erasure of indigenous groups of people. It absolutely is. Um, there's no denying that. And when we discount indigenous groups of people and we assist in their erasure and we allow their erasure, what we are essentially saying is that they don't matter. And like any other marginalized groups of people, when they don't matter, they are going to experience higher rates of poverty. They're going to experience higher rates of disease. Their health is not going to be uh, very good because they're not going to have the, the correct resource to be able to care for themselves. And the women, women who are one of the most marginalized groups of people, especially women of color, the most like at the very lowest of the totem pole are going to experience shit like 84% of them have experienced violence in their lifetime. Much of this violence is sexualized. Much of this violence is in the form of rape and abuse and women going missing and nobody being willing to essentially start an investigation or be willing to invest the proper resource to find out what the fuck is going on. This is disgusting. This should be alarming to anybody who actually cares about people, who has any vested interest in human rights, has any vested interest in the safety of women. Um, This is not okay. I really, um, 
am concerned because if we continue to just completely discount and erase native groups of people, this these numbers are only going to increase, right? And the people who are abusing and killing and murdering and kidnapping these native women, they do it the same. I mean, they do it because they know they can. If there are no real investigation processes going on for people, for indigenous women who go missing, that essentially you're being given the people who are committing these acts of violence are essentially being given the green light to do so because what we continue to, the message that we continue to send is that we don't care is that it doesn't matter that um you know and we've been seeing this message to indigenous groups of people for hundreds of years right but it's it's getting critical it's been critical but it's very critical right now when we talk about the fact that there are girls and women being killed who are going missing and like no nothing like they're going missing and nothing's ever heard of them there's no no one's stepping up to assist in trying to find them or pulling their resources trying to find them, except for indigenous women. And this is why I think women are so powerful, because when nobody else will organize, the women always will. And it's indigenous women who are calling attention to the fact that there are so many of their sisters who are missing. Um, and the it's this this is like the phrase that they are. This is like their revolutionary call. No more stolen sisters. Um, and this is, you know, I kind of feel like I'm rambling because it really does make me very emotional. Um, but I think when we talk about stolen lands, um, again, and I said this at the very beginning, but we really have to reiterate, not only are we talking about stolen land, we're talking about identities being stolen. We're talking about people's livelihoods being stolen. We're talking about people's cultures being stolen. Um, and we're talking essentially and holistically about erasure. Erasure is dangerous because not only does it completely discount the fact and completely what it does, it 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 takes the American narrative and it makes it incomplete in a way that glorifies the violence that took place and the genocide that took place without honoring the people, the communities, the millions of people that were killed in the process of America becoming a country um america has a lot of blood on its hands and that's just the truth that's the fact of the matter and when we do not talk about the fact that we live on stolen land and we don't tie that into uh you know crises like indigenous women going missing at 10 times the rate of any other group and 84 percent of indigenous women experiencing violence and sexualized violence in their lives that just further just you know we don't talk about them, we don't make the linkage between them we fail to critically address what's really going on here and we fail to critically address the problem and get to the root of the problem so that we can actually do something to solve it oh i whew, this is you know since i've taken an academic turn into women's studies i started studying women's studies um women's and gender studies back in 2014 and even since then i've known about the crisis of native women and indigenous women going missing and being murdered um but i see very few people very few academics talking about that and i'm really interested to really dive into what type of research is being published about this specific phenomenon and what people are really doing to kind of solve this because this is disgusting. And I think 
if you care about women and you call yourself a feminist, you should absolutely be trying to assist in what's going on here. Um, and if you are an intersectional feminist, which every feminist should be an intersectional feminist. And if you're not an intersectional feminist, you're not a feminist. You're not. You can't care about one group of women and not care about the rest of the women. Like, fuck that. Like, we're we're beyond that. We, we're beyond that. No. Um, you have to be critically engaged in what's going on here and you have to care and you have to be pulling your resources in every imaginable way that you can to figure out what the fuck is going on with indigenous with our indigenous sisters the women who have occupied this land uh from the very beginning for hundreds of thousands of years for thousands i say hundreds of thousands of years before anybody else and why they are being targeted in such a heinous and violent way um as an intersectional feminist, as a womanist, it is very important for us to talk about what's happening here and to have an open dialogue and to create a dialogue and further the dialogue around what's happening to indigenous women. Um, and to also fight for a more equitable world where they are allowed to take up space and they're allowed to speak about their experiences and they're allowed to speak about what's going on. Um, I don't, I think if you're not committed to that, then what are we doing? Ultimately, I'm going to wrap up there and I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope that you're inspired to really dive into what's happening with our indigenous sisters and why they're going missing and what's being done to essentially stop that. Um, one of the websites that my professor posted nativewomenswilderness.org is a great place to start um it can definitely link you to some other different websites and organizations and nonprofits that are doing this very very critical and important work to assess what's going on with our indigenous sisters um but i hope you guys enjoyed and y'all take care